0: turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, we continue, of course, our study. Of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew presents Jesus as the King of the Jews. Now, as we get to this passage, we're toward the end. Now it's uh, the final week of Christ's life before he goes to the cross. He's in the temple. He's been teaching the religious leaders that came up and asked him all kinds of questions. And he just, of course, answered them all. Then he asked them a question they couldn't answer. And then basically, what's happened is the religious just think about this there's Jesus, the disciples, religious leaders, and the big crowd. And Jesus takes this opportunity, these, this, this chapter, and he basically tells how bad the religious leaders are. He denounces them, uh, and it's really powerful. We call this passage, Jesus pronounces seven woes on the religious leaders. And what he does, he calls them, religious leaders, he calls them hypocrites and blind guides. And, you know, to be called a hypocrite is really a, a bad thing because a hypocrite is saying, you're pretending to be something that you're not. That's, they pretended to be righteous and they weren't. And so, as we look at these final three woes this morning, Jesus condemns the religious leaders and of course the ends of the passage dealing with Jerusalem so I think we'll see a lot of great things as we go through it well let's think about this all of us at one time or another have been rejected I mean you know you think about rejection it, it's pretty sad when you get rejected if you thought about dating somebody and, and they tell you that they want to break up and then you look at them and they go well, it's not it's not you it, it's me and then, you know you always hear that stuff and then or maybe you're applying for a job and, and you turn in and they give you an interview and then they tell you they say I'm sorry you're, you're not exactly what we're looking for and you, you feel hurt over that or that you've been in a job and they begin to downsize, do things that are going on like we're seeing in our country even today and they tell you that we're just not any place for you anymore and you, you, you feel that rejection. Or as you know, in our country a lot of people are divorced and sometimes people meet with each other and they say, you know, I don't love you anymore. Or, I don't want to be with you anymore. Rejection really, really hurts. And sometimes when we feel rejection then there's this fear that goes with it and we we don't want to be rejected again and so sometimes we do things like we don't give love like we we were loved but, but we've been hurt before and so we people say well i'm, I'm not going to ever put myself out there like that again i'm and they build a wall around themselves or there's one that sometimes is we don't share our faith we maybe at one time we said okay i'm i've got my i'm ready to go and you have an opportunity and you share your faith and and not only do they reject jesus but they reject you and then sometimes we say well you know, that didn't go well and I I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it again and those kind of things. Well, this morning as we look at our passage, we're going to see Jesus in his final message tells of his rejection. He came into his own and his own received him not. He came and declared that he was the, the son of God, that he was the king of the Jews, that he was coming as the Messiah and the Savior, and as a whole they rejected him. And as Isaiah had said, that he would be despised and rejected of men. And so we see in this passage at the very end that Jesus declares... That that he wanted to bring Jerusalem together and that they would believe in him, but they rejected him. So we'll see that as we go through. Let's just remember that that we're seeing the seven woes, and Jesus denounces the religious leaders. He's in the temple, he's teaching. This is the last week of his life, and he calls them hypocrites. And that's because they say things and they don't do them. They pretend to be one thing and they're not. And Jesus, uh, you know, they they want to be exalted, and Jesus said, "You want to be exalted? Humble yourself, and you'll be exalted. You exalt yourself, you'll be humbled." As we look at these seven woes, they're directed at the religious leaders, and they're condemning them, and it's really strong. And here's some of the statements. In fact, I said last week that these are the strongest statements that Jesus made The best we can see that's written, of course, in the scripture, when he was on the earth at this time, seven times he says, whoa, six times he calls them hypocrites, two times he calls them blind guides, two times he calls them fools, and one time he calls them serpents or or a brood of vipers and serpents and all of that. So it's really, really strong. We talked about this last week that when a person came to Jesus and they said, you know, I'm messed up, and oh, you know... Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful person. or something. He never got onto them. It was only the religious leaders, only the people who acted like that they were right with God and that they thought their goodness was enough. He called them really hypocrites, and we know that the word means false face, and that's almost all of us. As you come, we always wear these masks, and that's what a hypocrite is. is it really means under the mask. Because in reality, when you wear the mask, you can't tell whether you're smiling or laughing or frowning. You can't tell. And so a hypocrite was really the word for an actor, a person who pretended to be something they weren't. And so when Jesus calls them hypocrites, he's saying, you're pretending to be righteous. You're pretending to be the, the smartest. You're pretending to be the most holy, but you're not. And so hypocrites. We saw last time the first four of the of the seven hypocrites. Hip, uh, Woes, and the, the first two went, went together, and it was religion without salvation. And when you think about that, it is everywhere. The world is full of religion. Religion is man trying to please God, trying to do something to get to God. And we see this all the time. The, these religious leaders, they had laws and rules, not only the 16, 613 commandments from the Bible, but they had all these things that they made up and put up. And, and, they, and they basically said, if you keep these laws and things, you can get right with God. And so it was religion without salvation salvation. And I put it this way, it was a system of works to be saved. And many, you know, really should say many have religion without salvation. It is true. I, I told you last week, I've talked to people all of, all of my life since I became a believer and started really growing at about age 26, I've seen people after people who, who think that doing something right, living righteously, trying to, you know, somehow that's going to get them to God. And that's what I call religion without salvation. And so many have that. The, the, the next woe, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think it's, it'll, it'll work. Okay, there there we go. The next woe really is the religious leaders didn't keep their word. It was about the oaths, and they would say one thing and do another. And they would actually swear. they swear, swear by the temple. But then when it came back to it and said, you you said you would do that, they said, no, it didn't count because I didn't really swear by the altar of the temple. And so it'd be like us saying things like, I promise you I'll do that. And you say, you said you'd do it. And you say, yeah, but I had my fingers crossed. And that's what they did. They didn't keep their word. And And what we talked about was... We need to keep our word, and we talked about it last week, as believers, as those who want to live for Jesus Christ, as those who are going to walk worthy to call in which we've been called. If we say something, we ought to do it, and we really should. We need to be men and women of our word. The fourth woe, basically, was religious leaders made issues out of the wrong things. They tithed. we The word was tithe in there. They took, and you were supposed to take a tenth of everything. That's what they were supposed to. They'd find these little bitty plants, and they would get one of the ten and take it, and so they did that. But the thing... Things like justice and righteousness and mercy and faithfulness, they wouldn't do those. And so basically, they made issues out of the wrong things. And, and Jesus even said, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, something little bitty, but you swallow a camel, so you miss the big stuff. As we look at the final three of woes, woes, I want you to look at this. This is our outline. The fifth and sixth woes go together because it's all dealing with external righteousness. And they thought they were righteous because they did things externally. And we'll talk about that. And then the seventh woe is a little bit harder to follow, but they were blind to their own sin. And we'll talk about that one. And then the very last thing is Jesus laments over Jerusalem. It's really sad when you think about it, that Jesus came to his people as the Messiah. They had all the scripture that pointed the way to the Messiah. He fulfilled every one of the aspects of what the Savior and the Messiah would do, and they rejected him, and we'll see that. So the first woes deal with external righteousness, and that's, that's the problem, religious leaders, and that's the problem with a lot of people. I've known people who say, well, you know, I got baptized, I go to church, most of the time I go to Sunday school, and they think by doing those things somehow that's that's got them okay, and and we'll see how it goes. So look at verse 25, and this is external righteousness. And look how he starts. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Once again, that's what he calls them because they're playing the part. They're pretending to be righteous people and they're not. Look what he says. "What to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and indulgence. Now, the word clean there was something that it was a special word that they used to clean uh, the, the things. Uh, if you've ever gone through uh, you know Leviticus and numbers and Deuteronomy, and you see the laws listed there, some of them they get so tedious and yet what they would do is is they would come in from being outside and they wash their hands a certain way. I mean they didn't just wash their hands and 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 do that for twenty seconds. They washed their hands, they did this and this, it had to come all the way down the elbow, water had to drip off the bottom when they were wash the cups. And things. They had certain ways of washing them. Now Jesus is is kind of getting on to them because he says, You wash the cups and you clean the outside. But then he says something like, But the inside is dirty. And what he's doing is he's using the dishes as a picture of the religious leaders. And he's saying, You clean the outside, but you don't clean the inside. And he's saying the same thing about them. He says, You look good on the outside, because you've cleaned that up and you try to keep all the rules and everything, but inside you're bad. And that's why uh, he, he called them hypocrites. And, and think about what they would do. Do you know most Pharisees prayed seven times a day? They went to the temple at least three times per week. They offered all the sacrifices. They did the, the tithes. They wore the boxes, on, the phylacteries on their head and on their arm. They had the long tassels. They did all of the things and they looked good on the outside with their sacrifice, their tithes, their clothes, all of these things. And, and you and I know people who look good on the outside. And we've—I've I've talked to people, and and we'll say, "Oh, those people! Look, they're they're really they're really good people." But if you get to know them, you find out that they may be good people, but they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, what did Jesus say? He said, "You know, the heart." Jeremiah wrote this: "The heart is w- deceitful and wicked; who can know it?" Listen. Even if we look good on the outside, we're not good on the inside. And notice what he says. He says they are full of robbery and indulgence. And the word robbery there means dishonest gain. They, they took money from people. If you remember, we saw last week that they took money from widows. They would go into widows' homes and pray for money. They would say, we'll come pray and bless you, but you give us money. And they didn't even have money to give. And so that's what they did. They, was, they said uh, robbery and self-indulgence. They cleaned the outside, which looked good, but they were dirty on the inside. And you know what? Man can clean up the outside. That's what we do. The problem is can't clean up the inside. We can make ourselves look good on the outside. We can try to be righteous on the outside. But the only way you can have a relationship with God is not through outward cleanliness, but through inward cleanliness. And that comes from Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in him, he makes you a new creation inside. God gives you his righteousness. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But when the Bible says that Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So you want to be clean on the inside? The only way you can be clean on the inside is through Jesus Christ. And these religious leaders looked good on the outside, but they needed to be clean on the inside. Look what Jesus tells them in verse 26. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. He said, you got to be clean on the inside. And he actually tells them, you need to be clean on the inside so that you can be clean on the outside. And we've already said this. See, being good on the outside will not make you good on the inside. And, you know, I tried that. I thought that in order to get to God that you tried to do good. And every time I did a bad, I did more good than bad. And so if you looked at me and said, are you a pretty good person? I'd say, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I mean, when I do wrong, I do two or three rights. I'm trying to be good. But you know what? All the good I could ever do did not clean me on the inside. There's no way. And see, the truth is this. Goodness on the inside will help produce uh, goodness on the outside. It come, The goodness on the inside comes from Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us when we put our faith in Christ, he gives us his righteousness, and we're clean on the inside. And that's why the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. We're a new person. And so that's good. You must, we must be good, we must be clean on the inside, and this comes by faith in Christ. And so, this is the first one that he says. He says, You scribes and ph- Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside, but not the inside. You need to clean the inside so that you can be clean on the outside. His second one is, is, is the same. The next woe, it, the sixth woe has the same point. It's external righteousness. Look what he says. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful. But inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Watch what he says in verse 28. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He said outwardly you look like whitewashed tombs. Let me just tell you this. At, during the, the Every Jewish man had to come to Jerusalem three times a year had to come for Passover, had to come for Pentecost, and they had to come for what's called Feast of Tabernacles. So three times a year, one in the spring, one in the middle, basically the summer, and then one in the fall. And when people would come, and they would all come, the people living around that area would go out and where there were tombs, where there were people buried, they would take whitewash and they would paint over it so people could see it, so people wouldn't step on it when they came. And they would say, Oh, that's a grave, or that's a grave, or that's a grave. And they were whitewashed and they looked pretty. And Jesus said, You're you're whitewashed. Look at what he says. You're white, you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful. But on the inside, what are they? They're full of dead men's bones and uncleanness outside look good inside it's just dead bones that's all it is and he says you religious people you're exactly the same way look what he says in verse 28 you too you outwardly you look righteous in fact let me tell you if you have talked to any normal jewish person and you would have said what do you think about the pharisees they would have said to you oh the pharisees they're the best they're the religious ones. They do all the things that are right. They have the best seats. They go to the temple all the time. They're the righteous ones. But they looked good outwardly, but inwardly. He says, you outwardly you appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Outwardly righteous, inwardly hypocrisy and lawlessness. Once again, external righteousness will not do Righteousness comes by faith. And let me just say this, you know, I I know everybody in this room, so we're in good shape, but there's so many people that you may, that we may come in contact with who are trying to be good to get to God. Because that's the lie of the devil, and that's the that's what religion is. And if you talk to many people, and I guarantee you, if we get together and talk to people in this community, when we can start really getting out and seeing each other again, if you talk to people and you say, what do you think a person has to do to go to heaven? So many people will say, try to be good. Try to live a good life. Try to do something. And that's what you have. And so Jesus is getting on the religious leaders because that's what they taught. They said, you got to be good. And Jesus said, you look good on the outside, but inwardly you're of hypocrisy. And so powerful. Now, let's see the last woe. And this is the seventh woe. And this one is, the religious leaders were blind to their own sin. And it's so easy. The truth is this. It's really easy to see sin in other people, but not yourself. I mean, that's easy for us to do. We go, can you believe they did that? And you could go, yeah, but could you believe you did that? Well, the religious leaders were doing this. And look what they said. This is the, the, the last of the woes, verse 29. He says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we'd been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Now, let me just tell you what he's saying. See, there were, there were times throughout history that, that many of the prophets, Isaiah and Je- Jeremiah, they were killed because they were prophets. They were killed because they gave the truth of the Bible. And they actually killed them. And so, even at the time of Christ, there were some monuments To these prophets who had been killed. And Jesus says, you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say things like, boy, if we'd have been alive in those days, we would not have shed their blood. Well, they're, they're basically condemning, the religious leaders condemned the fathers, but they were doing the same thing. Do you know what they wanted to do? What did they want to do? They wanted to kill Lazarus. They wanted to kill Jesus. Listen, from the time Jesus started going, the religious leaders met together and they said something like this. Caiaphas, the high priest, said, listen, we got a problem. That Jesus is leading people and all these people are following him. And if we don't do something about it, the Romans are going to come and take our position away. So the very best thing for us to do is to kill him. See, they're doing exactly the same thing that their fathers did. The fathers killed Jeremiah, and they killed a guy named Zechariah. We're going to see it more in a minute. They're doing exactly the same thing. And if you remember, if you remember reading the Gospel of John, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, his good friend Lazarus raised from the dead, later on it says that the religious leaders decided not only would they kill Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus because people were trusting in Jesus because of Lazarus. And so Jesus says, you're hypocrites because you build the tombs and you say, if we'd have been living in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have been partners with them. The truth is they were partners with them. They wanted to do exactly the same thing. And it's so easy to do sins in others, but not ourselves. He says, you're doing exactly the same thing because you want to kill Jesus and you want to kill Lazarus. And he goes on to say in verse 31, so you testify against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Listen, you testify against yourself. Your sons are the murderers. By the way, in Hebrew, when, when a Jewish person would say to somebody else, you're the son of someone, that means you're like them. You're the same as. That's why when Jesus would say that he was the son of God, they got so mad because by saying son of God, he's saying I'm God. And when Jesus says to them, you're son of the murderers, he's saying you're just like them. You kill people just like them. And, and, and think about that. Uh, in, in verse 32, it says, Fill up in the measure of the guilt of your fathers. The fathers killed the prophets. You're going to kill the greatest prophet of all, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, in front of all these people, this is really strong statements. He's telling them that they're going to hell. Listen, he's already told them that they're not entering the kingdom of heaven. In front of all these people, he has said, religious leaders, you're not going, we'd say it this way, you're not going to heaven. He's telling them they're not going to be in the kingdom. He's telling them that they're hypocrites. He's telling them that they say one thing and they do another. He's saying that they're pretending to be righteous when they're not. They look good on the outside, but they're bad on the inside. He said that you claim that you build these monuments to these prophets, and yet you're doing exactly the same thing as they did because they killed those who brought the word of God, and you're going to kill the same way. You're going to kill those who bring the word of God. Listen, John the Baptist has already been put to death. And and they're going to kill Jesus, and they're going to want to kill others as well. So look what he says. Fill up the measure of the guilt of your fathers. And then he says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Now, I want you to understand, y'all, that is a strong statement. What What would somebody say to you if you turned to somebody and you said, you know, you're going to hell? And we know we don't, that's, we don't share our faith by going up to somebody and saying, you know, we think you're going to hell. We, we may think they're going to hell. But we may think because they think good works will get them to, to, to heaven. But we don't say, you're going to hell. We say, let us talk to you about how you can have eternal life. But Jesus is telling these religious leaders in front of the crowds that how will you escape the sentence of hell? They are blind to their own sin. They are blind to to their own sin. Verse 33 again, you serpents, you brutal vipers, how we escaped escape the sentence of hell? They were blind to their own sin. And let me tell you, there are many people who see other people who fall short, but they don't think they fall short. Uh, there's several people that I've talked to, even in the last five or six years, who actually say, "Well, I, I, you know, I'm I'm way, way down the road. I hardly ever sin." I've had I've had people. I said, "Really, you hardly ever sin?" I said, "All the time." No, I hardly ever sin. I said, "Wow, you're something." They're blind to their own sin, and that's what they are. Now, watch what he does, Jesus. This is present tense, by the way. And this is why this is not past tense. This is present tense. Look what he says. Therefore, behold, I am sending you to these religious leaders. I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. And some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Jesus says, I'll be sending you people. Now, he's already there. They already got John the Baptist. Lazarus is already there. Some of these others are there. And he says, you're going to kill them. He says, you're going to kill them. You're going to crucify them. You're going to scourge them. You're going to persecute them. Have you thought about this? Listen, they killed Jesus, didn't they? And they also killed James. They crucified Peter and Paul. They scourged Paul and the apostles and many others. They persecuted and they chased Paul all over Turkey and Greece I mean, this is, what, this is what it was. You remember that if you study the book of Acts, Paul would go to a city. He would go into the synagogue. He would lead people to Christ. There would be great happiness. Then Jewish people who rejected would come and get him. And they, killed, they actually stoned Paul and killed him. And he, God raised him from the dead. And he went on to the next place. If you read in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about being beaten with rods and being whipped and, and, and scourged and everything else. And that's exactly, Jesus says, I'm sending people to you. And this is what you're going to do to them because you're no different than the fathers who killed the prophets. You will be killing Jesus and James and Peter and Paul and the other people. And that's exactly what they did you're a brood of vipers, that's what he tells them it's really strong, and then look at this and if you if you don't understand how, the, how the, the Jewish Bible fits together, you might not understand the next verse, he says so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar what is he talking about? he says you kill righteous people, and so what that is, is that you're guilty in the same way that all the guilty ones have been who kill righteous people. And he names Abel and Zachariah. And you go, well, we, we kind of know who Abel is, Cain and Abel and that kind of thing. And what he actually is saying, he is giving, Jesus gives the first and the last ones killed in the Hebrew Bible. The first book of the Hebrew Bible is Genesis. The last book of the Hebrew Bible is, is Second Chronicles. It's not in the same order as ours. And if you actually study it, notice this, that Abel was killed by Cain. That's the first book in the Old Testament. That's Genesis chapter 4. Zechariah was killed at the altar because he stood. He was a prophet and he stood for what was right and they killed him. And that's in the last book of the Old Testament. So Jesus is basically saying from the first death in the Old Testament to the last death in the Old Testament, you are are the same as they are. The blood and the guilt of those that kill them is also on you. You've done the same thing. And then he says something in verse 36. He says, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. I want you to understand something. That generation was the one that killed the Messiah and persecuted and killed the apostles. Now think about that. Would you want to have been the generation of people who killed the Messiah. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up, and most of you know the story in Acts, and they're all there, and these large crowd of Jews are there, and Peter stands up and tells them how they crucified the Messiah. And then he says to them, he says, for them to believe in Jesus as Savior, and then he says, because if you believe in Jesus as Savior, you will save yourself from this Generation, the generation that killed the Messiah. And that's what he says to them. And so they were blind. And so we've seen the seven woes. They're hypocrites. They say one thing and they do another. They pretend to be righteous. Look at this. They have religion without salvation. They failed to keep their word. They make wrong things the issue. They stressed external righteousness and they were blind to their own sin. Think about that. There are people we see all the time who think good works will save them, who say one thing and do another, who make the wrong thing the issues, who think looking good on the outside is good enough, and who are actually blind to the things that they do. We don't want to be like this. Listen, as a believer, you can live this way. These, these Best we can tell, these people were not believers because Jesus said that they, they were not going to escape Gehenna. They were going to go to hell, basically what he said. But as a believer, you can do this. You, you can tell people that they need to live this way or do this way. Now, we know that he's talking about that a lot of unbelievers do these same things right here, and that's what he's talking about. Now, the bottom line, the only way that you can solve the problem is by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died and rose again, and whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life and have the righteousness that God demands. As we finish, these last verses are very quickly, but here is Jesus. He's going to lament over the city, the city of Jerusalem. And, and the best that we can tell, this is, this is the last thing that he says about his people, his city. Jerusalem is the capital. It's the key. It's the key. And so when he says Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he's talking about, of course, the people. And look what he says in verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets. That's what you do. And you stone those who have been sent to her all the way through the past and all the way through the future. He says, how often I wanted to gather you together, your children together. I wanted you to come to me the way a hen gathers the chicks under, but you were un." willing. Basically, he says, I came and I offered myself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords as your Messiah, and your Savior, and you were unwilling. You rejected. We know in John 1 11, he says, he came into his own. He came into his own people and his own people received him not. The Jewish people rejected the Messiah. Now throughout history, I mean, there are people who really hate Jewish people because they at that point in time rejected the Messiah, but you can't hate the Jewish people. Jewish people are God's chosen people not for salvation but for service and there's going to come a time when the Jewish nation as a whole is going to re, is going to receive the Messiah he says here i came and you rejected me and look what he says in verse 38 behold your house that's the temple is being left to you desolate do you know what's going to happen this is taking place in around 30 31 32 AD in 70 AD The Romans, under a general by the name of Titus, who later became the emperor, they come to Jerusalem. They call it the War of the Jews. And beginning about 66, 64, 65, 66, great persecution comes, and they attack the city And in 70 AD. The walls of Jerusalem are torn down. The temple is completely destroyed, not one stone left on another, torn down, and the Jewish people are scattered all over over the world. The temple has never been built back. Never been built back. It will be, but not now. And he says, your house is left to you desolate. And that's what's going to happen. And then in verse 39, he says to them, and this, he's talking to the religious leaders, he's talking to the nation, I say to you from now on, you'll not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of Of the Lord. What is he talking about? That's Psalm 118, by the way. And he tells them that the nation of Israel, he tells the nation of Israel, he will not come again until they believe in him, until they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When is that going to happen? Well, I want to show you something, just so you make sure you understand. We're right here. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Less than a week, he's going to die on the cross, pay for sin, rise again, ascend back into heaven. And then just a few days after that, 10 days after he ascends back, there'll be the church. This is us. As a whole, the nation of Israel rejected the Messiah. What's going to happen is there's going to be a rapture. And we're going to be taken off the face of the earth. And the final seven years, the seven-year tribulation is actually seven years for the nation of Israel. At the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, God raises up 144,000 Jewish people who believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and begin to proclaim it all throughout the world, throughout the Jewish people. Persecution comes halfway through it. the, the anti Christ puts his idol up in the temple, claiming to be God. Jewish people run for their lives. And toward the very end of the tribulation, the Jewish nation as a whole, not every person, but the Jewish nation as a whole, believes that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and they call upon his name, He tells us in the book of Romans, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's them calling out for the Messiah and they'll be saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus Christ comes at the end of the tribulation as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he comes and rules for a thousand years as the King of David. He takes the throne of David and the Jewish people. Jesus says, you're not going to see me again after this until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord until the nation of Israel trust in the Messiah. He won't be back. Now, we're talking about the second coming. If you remember, this is the first coming to die. This is the second coming to reign. This is what Jesus is talking about. We know there's a rapture that's going to happen and that's for the church that has nothing to do with the nation of Israel. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back and when I come back, you'll be believing in me. Well, what happens here? Well, I want you to understand that the next chapters, chapters 24 and 25, Jesus tells about the tribulation. He tells about that seven-year time period. Now, it's one of the most amazing passages in the Bible that for two chapters, Jesus tells what it's going to be like on the earth when, when he gets ready to come as the Messiah and the Savior. You remember, there's two comings of Christ to the earth. The first coming, he came to die. I showed you that a while ago. The second coming, he comes to reign. And so beginning next week... Jesus is now through with these religious leaders. He's going to go sit on the top of the Mount of Olives, and his three guys are going to, three, four guys are actually going to come and say, Tell us what the end times are going to be like. Because you talked about, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's it going to be like? In chapter 24 and chapter 25, Jesus gives us the most details of anybody concerning the end time events, especially the tribulation. So it's going to be really exciting as we look at that in the next couple of weeks. So we've seen the, the final three woes. We've seen the seven woes and they 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 look, tried to look good on the outside, but they were bad on the inside. They were blind to their sin. Uh, the it, it's just, And we see the rejection, of course, and the rejection of Jesus. So let me give you some applications real quickly. The first one is this. Let's understand that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ and not religion. Because if you look at this, the whole problem with the religious leaders is they thought what they did would save them. And religion is man trying to please God. That's what it is. And that's people trying to do something to get to God. External righteousness cannot save. It cannot save you. People living good, trying to be good, cannot have salvation. Right internal righteousness comes simply by faith In Jesus Christ, Romans 4, 5 says, To him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. You want to have the kind of righteousness that God demands? It comes simply by faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life. So let's understand that salvation comes by faith. The second application, let's realize that we'll be rejected when we live for Christ in a fallen world. We understand that. All the way through, religious people have always rejected the truth. And when we see all the way through history, the religious people killed the prophets and they killed the Messiah. And I want you to understand, the nation of Israel rejected the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. And what we have to understand is that God's children will be persecuted. That's why when you stand for Christ, and let me tell you, it's happening more and more in the United States than we've ever seen It's happening more and more. There are people who want to blame some of this virus on the Christians. They want to blame it on Jews. They want to blame it on Christians. We're going to be persecuted. Listen to this. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. You're going to stand for Christ? If you stand for Christ in a fallen world, just expect it. It's going to happen. And then last but not least, let's understand that our goal is to proclaim the salvation message and to live for Christ. Let us proclaim the grace message of salvation. I mean, that's the key, y'all. It it is so amazing how confused the grace message is and how confused the message of salvation. We believe that it's faith alone in Christ alone for eternal life. And uh, just yesterday, I watched a person who is world famous give a message and tell people how to be saved, and he added works to it basically told them they had to do two things, two things in order to, and he didn't say two things to have eternal life. He said, you must do these two things to have forgiveness, which is okay, forgiveness. Is fine. But he added works. It's faith alone in Christ alone. Let's proclaim that message. We have that responsibility. Second thing is, we, let's live for Christ so that we can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to be a light in the midst of a fallen world. We don't want to be religious people We want to be godly, holy people representing our Savior, giving out the greatest message of all.